This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We're keeping a close watch on the health of residents in Ontario's long-term care homes, especially after a spring which saw some 1,800 COVID-19-related deaths among people who live in the province's nursing homes. Absolutely devastating. There are new outbreaks of COVID-19 in about 46 Ontario nursing homes, which leaves many wondering if the situation will spiral out of control once again. The province's long-term care minister has announced that starting this Monday, rules around visits will change. Only those people deemed essential caregivers or essential visitors will be allowed inside Ontario's nursing homes, while outside visits may continue, although with colder weather coming, that may not be all that realistic for long. Joining us for a discussion on long-term care to this date, October 1st, Jane Medes, lawyer and institutional advocate at the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly, and Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association. Hello to you both. Good afternoon, Jane. Jane, I'll start by asking you how serious the situation is right now with COVID-19 outbreaks. Well, obviously, it's always very serious when we're seeing um, infections in homes. Um, in certain areas, certainly it is extremely serious. And I think that we have to um, figure out how, what kind of precautions we're going to take um, in those areas versus the other areas. And I, my understanding is... I can be corrected because I haven't seen anything from the ministry or the chief medical officer of health, but I believe that the restrictions are only in potentially Toronto, Ottawa, and Peel, although we haven't seen anything in writing yet. So as far as I know, the other kinds of visits can take place outside, but Donna may also have other information I don't have. Right. That, that is the indication we're getting, that okay. it's GTA nursing homes and mm-hmm. Ottawa nursing homes for essential caregivers and visitors mm-hmm. as of Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donna, what about you in terms of the seriousness of the situation? Well, you know, as we saw in, in the first wave, our most vulnerable uh, residents um, really are at risk. And we know uh, from what happened across Europe and certainly uh, what we saw in the spring, people over the age of 80 in long-term care are, are highly vulnerable. We know what the root causes are. Those hot spots like Ottawa and Toronto, um, certainly the, the buildings, and we, we're still in the same buildings, uh, critical staffing crisis. And I have to say, Jane, like our staff are so fearful of what's to come and they yeah. want to do everything they can to support these our residents and our and our family visitors uh, but but they are so diminished they're exhausted they're anxious in some cases traumatized you know the mental health well-being of our residents of our families and our staff is has really been compromised uh, by that first wave so we're worried for this wave about that I, I believe it. Is there any reassurance at all among those in long-term care homes, the employees, that uh, the importance that Premier Ford seems to be putting on long-term care over the last couple of days, and again today he's supposed to be making an announcement, does that offer any kind of comfort? 
You know, certainly we're encouraged um, as, as an association and, and also in conversations uh, with, with other Jane on the line here uh, and our family and resident councils in Advantage Ontario as well. We've, we've been advocating and certainly um, a, a number of weeks ago, a number of us put out a, a joint letter on, on behalf of the sector, you know, trying to really push the, the government uh, action plan forward. And certainly we're seeing that come forward this week with the commitment around personal protective equipment uh, for all the homes uh, in the province, certainly um, uh, providing some infection prevention and control capacity building in the system. We, we know that that's so paramount with uh, with this virus because it's, it is so virulent. Um, and certainly um, we continue to uh, advocate for ongoing partnerships with hospitals uh, that we had in the, in the first wave as well as ensuring physician presence on site. So if we can get those pieces in place and at least start to get them out, especially in these hot spots, um, hopefully we, you know, our hope is, and, and we need to do this together, uh, that will allow us uh, to recruit retain and recruit new staff to, to build out our workforce and, and protect our residents uh, and our and our essentially set essential family visitors. Jane, what about you, the $540 million that the Premier has announced towards long-term care? Will that be enough to make a positive impact and at this point of the second wave when we're already seeing dozens of outbreaks? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, the money for PPE, the money um, potentially for uh, more staff, I think that is all very important. Um, we can't do it without that money. And so that certainly is a good start. I think that the issues that we see are that there still doesn't appear to be a cohesive plan. Um, you know, they had the summer to do that. I still don't see that where, you know, you know, they announced on Tuesday this issue on visitors and we still don't really know what that means. They haven't actually put any documentation out to direct um, the sector to know what that actually means. And this has been an ongoing problem where we're getting no messages, mixed messages from, from, from the ministry and from the government. And I think that the other problem is, is that, you know, where we, we sort of take very broad strokes. So, you know, we put, you know, 72,000 people into basically, um, you know, uh, confinement um, in March, all, all the people that live in long-term care. And it wasn't necessary for everyone, I don't think, um, and neither was it particularly legal. And the, the stress and the effect on people's mental health of the residents who live in those homes, as well as families who couldn't visit, was astronomical. And I don't think that we can discount that. And we really have to put into place plans where we're balancing all of that. And I just don't think that the government is it has the plans to do that. Well, I certainly hope, we all hope that they have learned from that, that the isolation factor uh, could lead to a death of loneliness. We did see that during the spring. Uh, Donna, now with these new restrictions, so we're talking about, quote unquote, essential caregivers and essential visitors being allowed to go in and help and visit. Is that going to achieve the balance that we need between concerns about the virus being brought in and making sure that residents don't feel lonely and isolated. Well, I, you know, I think that uh, t- to Jane's point, you know, we know that social isolation has really taken a toll on on uh, on our our residents, uh, and you know, we've got to find that balance. And and certainly, you know, the greatest fear that that certainly I, I know the home tub is they want to keep this keep the virus out, and we know that it comes in from the outside, and certainly. You know, being able to support essential caregivers by training them and supporting them, so they, and but also having that IPAC 
that infection prevention and control specialization in the home to um, monitor them and support them and making sure that they're complying is going to be really important. Certainly, the public has to help. You know, what worked in wave one is we didn't have a hospital surge, so we could get the help from the hospital so that wearing a mask, washing your hands, watching your, washing your distance. Uh, is is paramount. I think what we need to do, and certainly what we're encouraging the province to do, is you know the premier talks about how these homes, when when COVID gets into these homes, to your earlier point, what makes us worried, and he said this again on Tuesday, it, it, it's like a, an Australian bushfire coming through in in some of those homes, not all homes. Let's mm-hmm. be clear, eighty percent of our homes didn't have losses, but. What do you do with fires? You rush to put them out. We need to actually be moving with urgency, I think, to Jane's point. like We've got to go fast. And as soon as a home has an outbreak, we need to wrap around immediately. There are healthcare partners. We need to get resources in there to shore up the home. Uh, like We've got to move fast and decisively, and we can't wait for things to unfold. And certainly, we saw delays in Ottawa that have, have resulted in some tragic losses. Um, and uh, we can't let that happen again. We cannot let this, quote, Australian bushfire get out of control. We've got to dampen it down as quickly as possible. And, you know, it, you know to that point, I think that, you know, one of the problems, there's two two issues that I think that, that Donna raised that are very interesting is one is the IPAC. Why were those not being done in the summer when we had a little bit of breathing room? Why wasn't specialized IPAC teams? We knew the second wave was was coming. Why did we wait until almost the end of September to start talking about this? It did go um, very quiet, concerns around long-term care. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, one of the things that uh, was, you know, has been pointed out time and time again is the fact that many of the outbreaks are happening in these older homes with four bedrooms. We are not going to change that structure um, anytime soon. Even, you know, we've been trying to do it since 2009 and it's just not happening. And so, you know, the ability, you know, Donna's quite right. It goes like an Australian bushfire when it gets in there. They have to be moving people out of the home, out of those four bedrooms, out of the homes. The homes, the older homes just really um, are not equipped um, for such a virulent uh, disease that, you know, where people are very vulnerable, um, immunocompromised, et cetera. Um, you know, we have to have the hospitals accepting them. We have to get people out. And I don't think, you know, maybe some cohorting within homes uh, is okay. Um, but, you know, we've heard some pretty bad horror stories about, you know, what kind of cohorting is going along. And, and it's a problem. We're talking about long-term care and COVID-19 on this October 1st, National Seniors Day, with Jane Meadis, lawyer and institutional advocate at the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly, and Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association. I'm Jane for Libby, and I want to put this question out to you, the Zoomer radio listener, because we do have a lot of listeners who are involved in long-term care and that they have loved ones who are in nursing homes homes and were um, were quite distressed when they saw the conditions of their loved ones back in the middle of June when finally they were allowed to have visits with them. Uh, to Donna's point about not getting a lot of communication about these new visitor restrictions, what have you been told, if you are a visitor to long-term care, about your role going forward as of Monday? Do you fit the criteria for an essential caregiver, essential visitor? What have you been told? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740. Star 
toll-free 1-866-744-740. I want to move on to uh, the study that was published yesterday in the Canadian Medical Association Journal, which indicates residents of long-term care in Ontario were at greater risk of dying from COVID-19 during the first wave in comparison to residents in homes located in British Columbia. Your reaction to, to that story, Donna? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, we're so interested in, in looking at the comparisons. I mean, certainly we know this is a global pandemic and certainly it's, it's, it's moved across Canada in different ways. And as we certainly looked at what some of the root causes where, where we saw the greatest losses, um, clearly timing was a big piece, um, especially in the, the 23 homes where we, we saw, as you, you, you noted, those devastating losses. Uh, so timing, but, but geography really mattered. And, and we know that, that the hotspots matter. Uh, certainly real uh, density, we're seeing them in, in where we have the highest density, uh, the hotspots hot emerging, but also the old homes. And as the study notes, uh, the uh, physical structure, and Jay noted this, uh, of the homes and, and the rooms, private and semi-private rooms in, in BC is very different than what, what we currently have in Ontario, given the, the old buildings from the 1970s. And so it's, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Ontario, Quebec get, get, get harder hit given our, the density of our provinces. Uh, certainly this is where people are traveling in and out. Um, but, um, we, we learned a lot of lessons from wave one. And, and I do think that the PPE and the testing and the IPAC and, and also how our long-term care homes are integrated into the healthcare system or not. Certainly in wave one, we, we found we did not have those partnerships with the hospitals that are going to be so profoundly important in this second wave. And, and Jane, your thoughts on this new research showing that Ontario nursing home residents were at greater risk of dying than nursing home residents in British Columbia. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Donna's pointed out some of the issues. Certainly the uh, Ontario is very fractured at the moment. Um, the government picked the wrong time to go ahead with um, this change, this very large change in the Ontario um, health system. And I think that has had a very wide impact. Uh, we're still very siloed. Um, so, you know, hospitals basically in some cases have to be ordered to manage homes. So it's not even just that the homes are getting orders to have the hospitals manage them. Hospitals are not always participating in the way we would like. Um, I think that, you know, there's also an issue around the for-profit versus not-for-profit. Um, you know, several studies have shown that the not-for-profit sector is doing more uh, poorly. And I think that the reason for that is that they do tend to pay the staff lower. They don't have as good benefits and sick leave. And um, many of these homes are not renovating. And, um, you know, this is, this is a big problem. And we have, a, you know, a large number of people in the sector who are um, owning homes and not actually running them. So they're getting money out and then they're getting money out again for management companies. And this all really plays down to the system that can't manage the people with the money that, were, that they were getting. Let's go to Helen in Toronto. Helen, your mother is in long-term care. My mother is in long-term care, and I've got a wonderful relationship with the director. She was sending me something, and uh, I, to- I sent her back an email saying, I'm very confused. I get this from, you know, they have their uh, uh, their bulletins that they send out. I said, I get this, I get that, I get the other. Like, where am I? So she wrote back and said to me, we are going to consider you an essential caregiver. Yeah. 
Uh, you fill out this documentation, and, you know, you'll be able to come when you want, as long as you want, as often as you want. In the interim, I had been speaking to a social worker, and I said, you know, it's driving me a little bit bananas, because my mother's got dementia, and uh, I don't know if she knows who I am in sunglasses and uh, a mask. <laughs> like, it's been a while. Right. So... She said to me, you know what, Helen? You're not the only one. Every single home, every single person I speak to who has someone in the senior's home, and the homes could even be owned by the same companies, they're all different. No two homes are are, um, interpreting what they're getting from the government in the same way. So it is mass confusion. Uh, Helen, among uh, the other visitors, because I know you, having had loved ones in long-term care, you get to know the other uh, family members. Are they all being told much the same as what you've been told? Well, there's only one other uh, family member, because I usually go in the evening, and so there aren't that many family members around. But uh, I would suggest that, excuse me, that uh, Sue probably, probably they are getting a similar message because when I spoke to Booking, they said to me, "Would you can come whenever you want, but please tell us when you're coming because we have a lot of people and we want to know who's here. Mm-hmm. So they must be um, being more lenient and allowing... I heard one horror story where somebody was coming, not to this home. Uh, they were called because the parent was about to die, and they came every day for two weeks. The parent got better, and then they were told they couldn't come anymore. Oh, yes, but, because an essential visitor could be uh, what I heard from uh, uh, Marilee Fullerton, the long-term care minister, the other day. She said, in the case where somebody's dying, you can come and say goodbye, and that would be an essential visitor. Right. But then once the woman had a turn, because the daughter kept coming, they wouldn't let her come anymore. However, she could hire somebody to come, which I thought was brutal. It is brutal. Well, thank you for calling and telling us about your experience. Uh, Jane or or Donna? Jane. Yeah, I'd like to comment because I think this is, you know, this is, again, we don't, you know, we have this new commentary on Tuesday about this change, but we don't have anything and it's Thursday. Um, we still don't know what they're, you know, exactly what they're talking about, what limitations there's going to be. But this has been an ongoing problem with these visit, uh, visitor um, policies. The government sets these policies and says it must have this and it must have that. And, for example, one of the things it says is that it's up to the resident or their substitute to designate the people. And the home doesn't have any authority to, to do that. And yet we see time and time again homes telling people, oh, we're going to decide who's going to come in or we're going to decide what you want. To do so, if you're an 85 year old and you want to come in and feed your spouse, but you can't say change their incontinence product, mm-hmm. some homes are saying that while you're there, you must do everything, or some homes are saying you must do two out of a list of things or whatever, and so they're all making up their own rules and. That, in, you know, in our position is absolutely incorrect, and we're contacting the ministry about this. But this is, you know, they've known this for a long time. This has been happening since they started visitors in the early summer. Uh, Donna, your response to that, it sounds like you wouldn't be surprised based on what you say is a lack of communication from the ministry in general. Well, I, I, you know, I think there's a, certainly we're seeing inconsistency around the province and, you know, being mindful that the homes really are terrified of, of what's coming in. Um, you know, certainly, uh, they want to make sure that they're keeping the residents and the, the family caregivers safe. Um, you know, I think we've got to find a way to have some consistency across the province and, and, and certainly, and, and Jane knows this, 
um, you know, we have the provincial directives, but then the the, um, the local public health units can also issue their own guidance as well. So, you know, certainly what we saw in the first wave is guidance changes a lot. Uh, the interpretation of guidance um, is, is, as as you noticed. Is very different depending, uh, and certainly we're working with our members to try and ensure, and and, and also with our family and, and resident council folks, we're, we're trying to come to a common understanding about what should the universal be, and how, what are those conditions, and and make sure that we all understand what they are because we, the, you know, certainly the the staff need to know, the families need to know, and the residents need to know, right. and so how do we make sure that. We all know exactly the same thing because then that serves everybody's interest. We will leave it there for today. Uh, always a pleasure to speak with you both. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, and Jane Medes, lawyer and institutional advocate at the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. And I'm sorry if I didn't get to your call there. Remember, tomorrow is Free For All Friday. It's your show. The lines are open for the full hour from noon to one. We will talk then. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.